0: Welcome to The Neighborhood. My name is Michael Lacey, husband, father, and host of The Wealthy Neighbor Show, where every week we bring you an amazing interview or a message to inspire you as you build wealth for your family. Thanks for stopping by The Neighborhood. Now let's jump right in with today's message. Welcome back to The Neighborhood. Today we have doctor and PhD grad Shayna Green visiting us and we're going to talk a little about side hustles. Yep, you heard that right. Even doctors can have side hustles. Now side hustles are just different ways that we all can earn a little extra income outside of our traditional nine to five jobs. And having a quality side hustle can help you get caught up on bills, pay off your debt faster, or just reach any other financial goals you may have set for you and your family. Personally speaking, I've had a few myself over the years from food delivery to ride sharing and just all of those kinds of things. And today's guest is no different. Shayna is still in the middle of paying off over six figures worth of debt and she has a few different side hustles that are helping her make some really good progress. So we're definitely going to get into some of those, including how she makes money on YouTube. But as always, I like to start at the beginning of the story. So Shayna, what is the story of how you found yourself $108,000 in debt to begin with?
1: I guess just a little background. I have a PhD in um, public health and I started my debt payoff journey after I graduated with that PhD in October. Well, I graduated in August, but then I started working. And so I started in October, 2017. But the first time I realized I had accumulated some debt and that I was in serious trouble was while I was in the Ph.D. program. And while I was in the Ph.D. program, I think I went on Credit Karma or something. And it said, like, how much debt I had. You know, they have your accounts and everything. And I was like, what in the world, Shana? Like, <laughs> why do you have At that? point, I only had like. 70 something. And I say only like that's a little bit, but I had like 79,000 or something like that. I started crying. I was like devastated. I'm like, how am I going to pay this off? Like, what am I going to do? And then by the time I had graduated, I did get a car. And so that also is why it jumped up. And some of the credit cards, the interest, you know, just
0: accumulated more. So let me let me ask a question, because I'm curious, what led you to want to pursue a Ph.D.?
1: I had always wanted to, I guess, get a doctorate of some sort. So. In middle school, I actually started off in a medical magnet program because I had aspirations of becoming a medical doctor. And so I continued medical magnet programs through middle and high school. But it wasn't until my the summer after my freshman year at Howard, and I was in this summer, it was called the Summer Medical and Dental Education Program. And they basically put you in like rotations and put you in like medical school classes and things like that. And when I was on the rotation, I was like, this is not what I want to do. Like, <laughs> I don't want to. And it, I, obviously, I'm still interested in health. But the thing for me was I wasn't interested in the one on one patient interaction. And I always kind of was thinking like people keep coming back for the same issue and I want to kind of prevent them from coming back and I don't want to just treat them and that's really what the medical model is about is about treatment whereas like public health is about prevention and so I switch gears gears to doing public health and while I got into public health, I was like, you know, I like research. So it was, in my mind, the way to make the most amount of money doing research and to also get the most autonomy with the work that I wanted to do, I had to get a doctoral degree.
0: So you, you talked about the financial aspect a little bit. So did you find yourself expecting a certain salary w- and once you completed your PhD? And if so, what was that expectation versus the reality of what happened?
1: So, OK, there are two different points where I had different expectations. So going into the Ph.D. program, I was like, oh, I should be able to make six figures like ASAP, you know, like once I graduate with my doctoral degree. I, so I took a gap year between my master's degree and the Ph.D. program. And basically, I did look for jobs during that year, but it was also like the recession was going on during that time and everything. So it's kind of difficult to get jobs. And one of the jobs that I got to the point of them talking about salary, I think it was like $45,000. And I'm like, I went to Columbia University, got a master's degree. You talking about $45,000? No, thank you. So I was like, I need to really go and get this doctoral degree. And while I was looking at jobs, I looked at some at the CDC, and I saw like the Range of the earning potential for some of the federal jobs and they go upwards to like 160, 150,000, whatever. But I also didn't know what that meant. And so I was like, oh, I could get 150,000. <laughs> once, I, <laughs> once I get the doctoral degree. So I had in my mind like, oh, you're definitely going to make six figures, but it was more like the high, you know, six figures. And then when I was in the doctoral program, I started to realize because I went to a state school And for most state schools, they tend to publish the um, salaries for professors. And also we had a course um, called uh, Joining the Academy, where they basically prepped us on how to get jobs. They didn't talk a lot about salary, but through that course, I learned a little bit more about like realistically how much people were making. And also while I was in the doctoral program, we we're very active in the recruitment of faculty members. They always wanted the, the doctoral students to provide input on which faculty members they would actually hire on. And so we kind of knew like how much the faculty members would be making. And so I realized that some of the new assistant professors were only making 99000 And so I was like, okay, let that's Less than what I was thinking, but it's still good, (laughs) you know what I mean?
0: Right, still good.
1: Yeah, it's still really good. But those were like the expectations that I had at those different points.
0: Okay. And so what's been the reality for you? And the only reason I'm asking this question is because, one, I'm curious for myself, but also I'm sure there are people out there listening who have this expectation of, you know, oh, you have a PhD, like, you know, coming into this interview, they're expecting you to be making 200, you know, whatever thousand. And so I'm just kind of, you know, trying to help the listeners understand, like, kind of what you were expecting and then what's the actual reality of you with this PhD.
1: Yeah, definitely. So when I graduated with my um, PhD, I actually did a postdoc. And so the average postdoc in my, I guess, field is usually hosted by the National Institutes of Health, NIH. And NIH usually sets a, um, a standard salary for postdocs. And so the standard salary for postdocs with no other prior work experience would have been, I think, $45,000. And so as a postdoc, because it's training, but you're making money. So it's the equivalent of like, and when you're graduating as a doctor and you do your, your residency, doctors as well are making about mm-hmm. forty fifty thousand dollars 50000 once they graduate medical school while they're in residency. So that's how much the NIH sets as that. But well, I actually went into a postdoc through the CDC. And with that postdoc, I was getting paid close to $70,000. So I actually made a lot more than the typical postdoc makes by going that route. And since leaving that postdoc, the job that I had right after, I made $90,000. So I didn't hit six figures alone through my primary employment, but I side hustle. I have many other sources of income. So when I had that job, I was making a a six-figure salary.
0: Let's talk about it because, you know, you said at, at one point, you when you first realized you had your debt and you first told it everything up, you were emotional, you were crying, you were confused, you were almost kind of like in a hopeless state. And then fast forward, now you're in your postdoc and you've got 70,000 coming in with around one hundred and eight thousand dollars worth of debt. So, I mean, how did you feel in that situation? Like, were you a little more hopeful with that salary or were you still kind of like, man, I still don't understand how I'm going to get out of all this debt?
1: hmm. So that's a really good question. So in preparation to be making $70,000, I read a ton of books. Um, I read um, The Broke Millennial. And that really, it was a good book that kind of talked about finances, personal finances in general. And then I also read this book called Your Money Life in Your 30s by uh, Peter Dunn. And I thought that book was really practical because I had never to that point lived on a budget. And it really broke down, like, this is how much you need to be spending for each type of category in your in your budget. And so I was like, oh, okay, this is good. I mapped out a budget based off of how much I knew I was going to be making. And I was like, okay, I can do a little something. I could pay some bills, you know, but I want to get out of debt like super fast. (laughs) So I need to make more money. And I felt hopeful in the sense that I knew I had money and I was making decent money because, you know, a lot of people don't even make $70,000. So I was really grateful for that. But I also felt like it wasn't enough for me as a single person to attack my debt in the time period that I wanted to attack it. So I was looking for other sources of income to be able to bring my income up to six figures. And that's what I did.
0: Wow. So let's talk about that. I mean, you were utilizing side hustles. So what were some of those side hustles that you were taking on to, to knock out this debt quicker?
1: So the first side hustle that I looked into was Postmates. And so I signed up for Postmates, but I was moving from Miami to Atlanta to do like my postdoc. And my apartment ended up not being ready. And so they um, asked me to like, wait, I think it was like two weeks. And so I ended up staying with my uncle, but I had already signed up for Postmates and had like the Postmates card and all the like gear and everything sent to the address that I thought I was going to be living at. But then they moved me to another apartment unit. And so I never got the Postmates stuff. And so I could have, you know, asked for it, you know, requested it again, but at that time I started looking into other things. So I also looked into, um, shipped. I looked into shipped, which is a grocery delivery and I got mm-hmm. denied for that. <laughs> so I- Come
0: on, shipped. Come on. Come I on. Like,
1: Look, I know how to pick out apples. Like- <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: I <laughs> got a whole PhD out here. What are you doing?
1: T- <laughs> they denied me. So I was like, okay, what's the next one? And so I looked into Instacart. So I got in with Instacart and that's what I started off with. And so I was actually really embarrassed to be doing Instacart, knowing that people know I have a PhD. And the good thing, though, was that I was new to the city. So nobody knew me, you know, like at the grocery store and stuff like that. But just in the sense of like letting other people know, like I'm doing Instacart. I didn't tell anybody like for a while. And I actually met my boyfriend when I first moved to Atlanta and he would be like, what you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm just at the grocery store. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Yeah, because you're spending hours there. So you're like, dang. <laughs>
1: Every day at the grocery store. <laughs> finally i told him like i actually do instacart so that was a little joke because he was like why are you always at the grocery store <laughs> 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 so um anyway i told my friends i would talk to people on the phone and they'll be like oh what she doing girl i'm just checking out <laughs> <the grocery> <laughs>
0: You know, that's interesting because I I was, I was actually going to ask you about that when you mentioned those particular side hustles, like, was it challenging knowing, man, I have a PhD and like, I had this expectation that I was going to be making 160 and now you're in the grocery store picking up groceries for other people. Talk to me a little bit about that struggle, like some of the things that were going through your mind at that time.
1: So mainly it was just like, I didn't want other people to know that I was doing it. And kind of, I think my mom was like, you don't have to do that. Like you can make money other ways. Like you don't need to, and then you don't need to pay off your debt so quickly. Chill out. like." And that's kind of like one of the things that she told me. And then I definitely didn't tell my friends. I didn't want other people just to know generally. And then also I had like, not too many incidents, but a few incidents where I kind of was treated badly or weirdly by customers. And I was like, girl, you got a whole PhD. You do not need to be doing this. <laughs> and then
0: Wow. I was, so what I, were some of the, I mean, hold on. I don't mean to interrupt you, but, you know, what, I mean, what were some of those instances? Like, give me one that happened.
1: Yeah, so this one, it's bad, but it's not, like, bad. Like, nobody, like treating me like super horribly. But it was just this instance where I went to deliver groceries to this woman's house. And I don't know, she has spiders in the the doorway at the threshold of her door, like spider webs. Mm -hmm. And she like comes out with the broom and starts knocking the spider webs out the way and she's like come on come through and i'm like what in the world lady like
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's terrible
1: (laughs) and i'm just like why did you think that was appropriate to start knocking spiderwebs and then asking me to like come through your house through all this and it was a lot of spiderwebs it wasn't just like one little you know so it was just like a lot of spider web debris flying in the air and i'm like what in, why? <laughs> like, wow. and why and part of me wanted to be like no like not nah, like what <laughs> No. but wow. then I was like I don't know it was just a weird situation so it wasn't like necessarily like a mistreatment but it was just like why would you do that you know to somebody right. and right. so that was I think one of the first incidents and then I did have another incident where I went to someone's house and she knocked on I knocked on the door and she Asked who who it was. And so I said, you know, Instacart, but I guess she didn't hear me through the door. So she opened the door. She was like, I asked who it was. And I was like, I said, Instacart. And so she got an attitude with me. She was like, you up here knocking on people's doors and I need to know who it is. And first of all, I'm thinking like you ordered delivery so you should have somewhat of an idea especially with the app telling you that i am picking up groceries i have checked out and all that you should have some sort of idea who's knocking on your door but i did tell you who i was but for some reason she had an attitude about and then she was like that's why you're out here doing deliveries and i was
0: like (laughs) out of line like all the way out of line
1: And that was the worst incident that I've had, but I think the first time where I was like questioning, like, what are you doing was the
0: spider web incident. Yeah, no. And I want to take a brief pause for our listeners. Listen, you never know who is serving you in any regard, whether it's an Uber driver, a Lyft driver, a food delivery service. You don't know what people are dealing with, struggling with, or fighting for, fighting towards be nice to people be kind to people i mean this that was that's crazy i can't even believe that like somebody said something like that that's why you're delivered that's Wow. That's crazy. (laughs) So, I mean, okay. So let's, let's go for, I mean, you know, where are you in your journey today? Like, are you still side hustle? Like kind of what's going on with you today?
1: So I lost my full-time employment in June. And so since then I've been looking for another opportunity. But I do adjunct at two different universities currently. So I bring an income that way. I also am doing YouTube as well. So I have my YouTube channel where I talk about, how I side hustle and I help a lot of people be able to increase their income and also to eliminate their debt and stuff. So I bring in income through that way as well. But I'm not really doing the side hustles that I was doing before because since I lost my job, I moved to another city. I've done um, consulting through Upwork. That's something that I decided to stop in April, but something that I'm probably gonna pick back up after I get my YouTube channel to a good place. So I'm probably gonna pick back up with a lot of side hustle. And so right now I do have um, $55,000 of student loan debt. That's my only debt that I have now. I paid off everything. Luckily I paid off everything right before I lost my job, right. <laughs> except for my student loans. But because my income is so low, I actually don't owe a payment. Right now, but my plan is to still pay the interest with the income that I'm earning, so that's the plan as of right now.
0: So, let me ask this question because I know some people out there listening are aspiring YouTubers. Can you really make money on YouTube?
1: Yeah, so with YouTube, I make money a variety of ways. So, the way that a lot of people think about making money with YouTube is through the ads, and I definitely make money through AdSense, which is the program that the ads are run through. And so on a monthly basis, I'm getting about $450 through ads. And Granted, that's not a lot of money because I just came from a place where I was making $90,000 for my full-time job. <laughs> and so that's nothing in comparison, but it is definitely better than zero. That's what I always say. Anything that's better than zero, I want. So $450 is how much I'm making off of AdSense. But I do have a lot of affiliate marketing income through YouTube. And so whenever people sign up for Instacart, because I've done a lot of videos about Instacart and how people can make money through Instacart, um, people use my referral link. And so far I've earned $6,000, well over $6,000 making mon- bonuses through people signing up and using my link for, signing up for Instacart and just a variety of other um, opportunities that I've gotten through affiliate marketing. And I recently got a sponsorship. Well, I've been getting a few sponsorship opportunities for the past few months, but um, I finally got one that I think I'm going to take. And so that's another opportunity to make income. So there's definitely ways to make money. Now, granted, you're not going to make a lot of money. Start out the gate because YouTube does have the requirements. Um, with the AdSense, but there, it is possible, especially if you take um, into account affiliate marketing, you can start to make money through YouTube even before you're monetized through ads with the AdSense program. And yeah, so I made, I think I was thinking about it the other day, I probably have made in this year close to $15,000 so far just through money that I've been able to earn via my YouTube channel. So not all through AdSense, but just, you know, everything that comes through the channels through that.
0: Wow. That's amazing. I love it. I love it. So for you aspiring YouTubers out there, there's a little bit of a blueprint for you guys. Uh, And be Mm -hmm. sure to follow her on YouTube as well. Her channel is very entertaining. The Wealth Vibe. Go check that out. You mentioned that you lost your job recently, right? And you still have a little bit of debt. So how has that process been emotionally, like having this debt kind of almost hanging over your head, but not having that same $90,000 income and not being on that same trajectory that you were with paying off your debt?
1: Honestly, it's not as bad as I thought. At the point that I lost my job, I had already paid off 50%. Of my or a little bit more than 50% of my debt. And I also wasn't in repayment for my student loans until September. So I had what about three, four months where I didn't have to pay any debt at all. And so since I moved from my apartment and reduced a lot of my expenses. I felt pretty good about the debt that I had and I knew that I would be able to get into a repayment program that would account for where I was at. And I also felt really good about my prospects of being able to land another job. And I've had several you know interviews since then um, and like one that I really thought I was gonna get. And so I, I just it hasn't really been as traumatic, I guess <laughs> as you would think it would be. For me, because I feel like I put myself in a good position by eliminating a lot of the other debt. Now, if I had the other debt, especially if I hadn't just paid off my car in May, I would be worried because I'd be like, I'm so close to paying off my car and they could potentially repossess it. I would be freaking out. You know what I mean? (laughs) So, But because none of those things were an option, you know, everything was pretty much good for me it didn't feel as bad. And I also had an emergency fund. I had a really good support system with people that would help me out. Like I moved in with my boyfriend and to be able to save money. And so it it hasn't been that bad for me. But I know that people who don't have emergency funds or are in the midst of paying off debt where you have people actually asking for money from you, Losing your job can really be like very detrimental and it just I'm so grateful that it wasn't detrimental for me at that point.
0: So talk about that process of saving up that emergency fund and uh, kind of the, the, the solace you've taken in having that in your corner, you know, because of this situation.
1: Yeah, so I um, I kind of went about it a different way. So people, especially if you follow like Dave Ramsey's principles, he says to start up with your, your baby starter emergency fund and then move on to paying off debt. When I started my debt-free journey, I had no idea who Dave Ramsey was. And then <laughs> while I was... Actually, while I was um, doing my Instacart trips, I started to learn about Dave Ramsey. I started to literally listen to his podcast as soon as I got in my car, (laughs) doing an Instacart job until I got back into my apartment at nighttime. I listened to all three hours of his podcast every single day. But at the same time, although I do like Dave Ramsey, I'm not really big on his perspective about the The emergency fund. And probably if I would have done it, redone it, I probably would have saved up an emergency fund. But I didn't really, I guess, feel like I needed to save a starter emergency fund before I got straight into my debt, because I kind of felt very um, comfortable with my income, because I, I could have stayed in my postdoc for five years. It was Income that I could have gotten, but I chose to leave the postdoc and go into another job. But I was like, I know I'm going to get this money for five years if I want to get it. So I didn't feel like I guess the job insecure in a sense. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, well, let me just jump into paying off debt. But now after losing my job, I also have a different perspective on Dave Ramsey's emergency fund, starter emergency fund. He recommends $1,000 for your starter emergency fund. And luckily, because I was also saving for taxes to pay for all these various side hustles, you know, because you have to pay self-employment tax, I had a large chunk of money in my savings account to pay off taxes and whatever else may come up. So I ended up having like close to four dollars or $5,000 in emergency fund. And after losing my job, I was like, you know what? You don't need four dollars or $5,000 across the board for a starter emergency fund. But I think you need at least one month of living expenses for sure. And Dave Ramsey's starter emergency fund is supposed to be one thousand dollars, and if I only had thousand dollars, I wouldn't have been able to pay my rent. Right. Had I lost, you know, when I lost my job, but luckily, because I had more money, I was able to pay my rent and allow me to get to the point where, when my lease is about to be up one month later, I was good. You know, I could make decisions. I wasn't so stressed out. And if I only had a thousand dollars, I would have been a lot more stressed out, I think, too. So I kind of took an unconventional approach. But because I've gone through this situation where I lost my job, I have a new perspective on what your starter emergency fund should be.
0: When do you anticipate being debt free now? And then what's something you're looking forward to once you hit that milestone?
1: So I'm not sure. Originally, I... Plan to have been out of debt completely 100% by February 2021. And I was hoping that I could probably get that done by December 2020 because I was like, that's only two months off. Like, I can, you know, hustle and get two months ahead. But now that I only have my student loan debt and I'm looking at it, I'm like, how aggressive do I want to be about it? Right. And I'm not really sure because I'm trying to debate whether I should just only pay the interest until I get another job. And then when I do get another job, do I just want to pay a little extra? So I'm ahead, but not necessarily like knocking it out in the next two years. And so I'm like debating these ideas because I'm like, I could I don't own a home. I do want to own a home eventually. And then I have goals of like maxing out my IRA and, you know, just investing. And so I'm like, what? It's going to be the better option for me. But I do know I'm probably going to be paying off my own student loans. I know um, actually somebody on my channel asked me yesterday, um, do I plan to go into public uh, what is it a public service loan forgiveness? And in public health, there are many ways that I could um, take advantage of that option, but I don't want to work forever <laughs> And to me, 10 years is like me committing to work for somebody almost forever. I mean, that's kind of weird for me to say that, but that's how I look at it. Like, oh, I got to work 10 years, you know, to get this. And I just, I feel like I don't have that many loans for me to be like, oh, I need to take this option of public service uh, loan forgiveness. Um, so I probably am going to pay it off, but I just don't know if it's going to be a two year or a five year thing.
0: How do you plan to build wealth for yourself?
1: So I've always been like entrepreneurial and like, I remember my hair uh, stylist in high school, her telling me like, you always got a job because <laughs> I was always looking for ways to make money. And that's really what I still do. Like I'm always looking for ways to increase my income. And so Basically what I foresee myself having is a a company of my own and being able to generate the salary that I want and the flexibility and freedom that I want and that being the way to increase my income that I can then you know, max out the 401ks, the 403bs or the, Mm -hmm. um, well, really it would be like the solo 401ks and, you know, the IRAs and being able to contribute to the mutual funds and all those things. Those are the ways that I feel like I would be able to maximize my earning potential, get the lifestyle that I want and be able to invest for my future. Um, So my goal is really um, to have a business and I still I have I'm one of those people and I like to I guess pick on my brother sometimes because he is one of those people I think he has it worse than me like every time you talk to him he's like so I have this idea for a business I have this idea for a business and low key I'm just like him I probably am not as extreme (laughs) but I'm always like okay you, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. And I just have to figure out how I want to streamline it and take one thing at a time. Um, so like, and I'm thinking in January, I might launch another business um, focused solely on public health. And I don't know, we'll see which one <laughs> takes me to the million dollars. But that's how I, how, how I anticipate generating wealth is by um, having a business of my own.
0: I know you mentioned some of the books you read earlier. Can you just recap that and talk about some of your ma- favorite money books so far?
1: So one of the first money books that I've ever read was I'll Teach You to Be Rich. And I read that after I graduated from my master's program. I was like, I'm about to get it. <laughs> like, I literally was doing because in that book. He has like checklist after each chapter of like, this is what you're doing this week. And I was literally like, OK, I am setting up my high yield savings account. <laughs> I- I am setting, setting up my Roth IRA. I was like, I am following this. But I will admit that I kind of also had a mindset issue to overcome because I was feeling like I didn't make enough money to do some of those things. But I was very empowered by that book to actually get things um, like practical things in place. So I actually am still uh, reading the second iteration of that book. And I think it's a great Book and I recommend it to anybody. But another book that I like is um, the one I mentioned earlier called Your Money Life in Your 30s. And there's actually different um, iterations of that book. There's your money life in your 20s, you're in your 40s and your 50s. And I liked it because it was very practical. As I mentioned earlier, I had never budgeted. And I felt like it was like, these are the things that you need to do. Similar to I'll teach you to be rich, I'm more of a practical person. And so when it tells me like, do this, do that, I I received that much better, and so those were two of the like really practical books that I really enjoyed. Um, some other books that I liked as well, but aren't necessarily as practical, are um, Broke Millennial, and also You're a Badass at Making Money. Those are other books that I liked as well, but they I think Broke Millennial. It's kind of like a mix between like mindset and actual pra- and practical, but I don't know. I don't know where to put it, but it's not super practical, but it's not super mindset. It's kind of like a story that you kind of learn from her, her process of going through and then um, you're a badass making money is very mindset oriented and at first I was like I don't need any mindset stuff I'm good I always been like (laughs) about getting to the money I was like I don't have any issues with that but when I reflected on why I didn't take action years ago when I read I'll teach you to be rich there was some mindset barriers in me thinking like I don't have enough money but you always have enough money to do something you know so
0: right right Good stuff. Well, hey, I enjoyed this time with you. I've laughed a lot. I've, ha- I've learned a lot. Uh, I'm sure our listeners have learned a lot as well. So I definitely want to thank you for stopping by the neighborhood, sharing more of your story, inspiring the people. But I do want to ask you to let the listeners know where they can find you, if they want to follow your journey, if they want to learn more from you.
1: Yes, definitely. Check me out on YouTube. The channel is The Wealth Vibe. You can also just search my name, Shana Green, and either one of those will pop up with my channel. I have a growing community of people that are super active, and I'm talking about how you can eliminate debt, grow your income, and build wealth on my channel. And I'm putting out three videos a week on my channel so there's a lot of content for you to take part in. And you can also find me on Instagram. I am being more active on Instagram. I have a very growing community, community on there as well at the well five on Instagram. And if you follow me on Instagram, you might get a personal message from me. So if you want to hear from me, check me out at Instagram at the well five.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, Shana, for stopping by the neighborhood. And I'll be sure to link to all of Shana's social media handles, as well as all the books and tools she mentioned in the show notes page, which can be found at winning2wealth.com episode nine. Now, a couple of really quick takeaways from this episode. And I don't know if you caught this one or not, but I definitely did. And I thought it was super powerful. So Shana had this expectation that she would be making close to 200K when she was still in school. But then she found out that she would actually be making closer to 70K. And instead of being super disappointed about it and wallowing and all that stuff, she started reading books and empowering herself to be able to properly handle the 70K that she was going to be blessed with. Now, that was probably the most powerful part of this entire interview to me, and I Definitely want to point out the importance of not just having goals and working towards those goals, but preparing ourselves to be able to handle everything that comes with us reaching those goals. As I've said in other episodes, it's more important to grow and evolve as you go through the process than it is to reach that end result. So as you're in pursuit of your goals, continue working on you as a person just as much as you work towards that result. That's some pretty big time stuff right there. So, Shayna, thank you for that. And I also want to share the fact that life is just super unpredictable. I mean, again, Shayna thought that $70,000 income was going to last her for five years and that she'd be debt free. So she didn't prioritize the emergency fund. Now, for those of you who haven't figured it out yet, these little recaps at the end happen after the interviews are done, so I can report that Shayna did recently get a job offer and she'll be back to work soon, so congrats on that, Shayna. But back to my point, we don't know how life will turn out, so I always say expect the best, prepare for the worst, but capitalize on whatever comes. Now, thankfully, Shayna had a little bit in savings that covered her until she was able to get to a new place, but a lot of you don't have that option of moving out so quick And doing all that stuff. So, get yourself at least a month's worth of expenses saved up. That way, if something like that happens to you, you'll have at least a little bit of time to assess the situation without stressing over money. Because I know when I've been stressed and overwhelmed about money in my life, I've made some very bad career and lifestyle choices. And I mean, at the end of the day, we don't really want that happening to you. So, I'm keeping it short today. So, that's all I have for you neighbors out there listening today. Now, if you're doing any travel over the next week, I do want you to have a safe trip and a great time visiting wherever you're headed. Also, if you haven't officially joined the neighborhood yet, be sure to do so at winning to slash neighbors. That's winning to wealthcom slash neighbors. Thanks again for stopping by the neighborhood and we'll talk soon.